Father, I pray this morning that you would help us through your word to become more holy as you are holy, as this text charges us to do. I pray that we in this church would be people marked by holiness, and uh, that you would make us a people who are conformed not to the image of the world, but to your holy standards. Make the holiness that you produce within each one of us uh, seep out into the world around us and to our individual context and may salvation result and ultimately the glory of your name in Jesus name we pray Amen. Uh, stand with me we'll read verses 13 through 16 of First Peter chapter 1 Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is God's word. The sermon is titled, Be Holy. Every time I preach on holiness, it's just a brutal week. (laughs) It's something I'm very passionate about. I want to see Christians growing, and when I come to these texts, I realize how not holy I myself am. But they're also encouraging because they point us to Christ ultimately. So through 1 Peter, we have verses uh, 1 through 12. There's there's no commands given in verses 1 through 12. No imperatives. It's all just indicative. It's this is who you are, and this is what Christ has done, and what he's made you. And now we had last week our first imperative, which was to hope, hope fully in the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now in our verses this morning, he issues the second command. This command is, be holy in all your conduct. God commands us here to be holy in all of our conduct as he is holy. A lofty demand, a lofty command to be sure. But he's not left us to kind of derive this holiness from thin air, from our own abilities. Now, if you want to grow vegetables, you you need to set up an environment which is suitable for the crop that you want to to produce. Soil, sunlight, nutrients, water, all of that needs to be suited to that crop. God calls us to a life of holiness, but he does not try to cultivate this holiness without also supplying the the proper environment to produce holiness, for holiness to thrive in. So that's kind of an illustration of how I see this text this morning. And I want to look at this text under three headings first. What holiness is not. What holiness is not. Second, what holiness is. And third, the elements which God has put in place to cultivate holiness within us. So, 
First, if we're going to talk about holiness, we need to, we're going to define what it is not, or Peter is. Looking at verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And then he says, but, and then he, he gives the positive side of holiness. So this is the contrast to what holiness is. This is what holiness is not. Notice he says, the former passions of your ignorance. These things were former, former desires. So holiness, what it is not, is it is not worldliness. Those, those worldly things are desires that we had in our ignorance before we knew God. One example the Bible gives of things that are unholy from 1 Corinthians 6, sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, stealing, greed, drunkenness, reviling, swindling. He says these things won't inherit the kingdom of God. That's an idea that gives us a picture of what's unholy, what's worldly, what these other passions from the former man were. Peter here tells us, do not be conformed to those. So I kind of think of like if you have Play-Doh and you put it in a cup, it eventually takes the form of that cup, right? Well, if you put a coin in the bottom first and put the Play-Doh in, but if you pull it out, it's going to have the imprint of the coin. Whatever the mold is, that is what is going to conform us. So Peter, or Peter here says, don't let that environment, those things that come from your old man, sneak in and conform you, change you, shape you. The opposite of holiness is to be shaped by, by patterns which we had before, which we had in our time of ignorance. Literally, the word ignorance there is agnoia. You can hear that word agnostic in there. It's the opposite of knowledge. You didn't have the knowledge. We had passions and desires then which we don't have now, and, and they shaped us. They made up our identity. Clearly then, holiness has to do with the shape that we take as people and the, that mold which gives that shape definition. People of God have always been called to I wouldn't call it non-conformity, but maybe God-conformity. The Israelites were given these plain instructions in the wilderness. Do not be conformed to the nations around you. You're not to be like them. You know, you're not to marry them. You're not to bow down to their idols. Don't let them influence you. That's why the story of Phineas, you know, he's so zealous about this that when a man brought a woman, a Midianite woman, into the camp... He speared them both through. He was zealous about the holiness of God. The great sin of that man who brought the Midianite woman in was that this little leaven leavens the whole lump. That's the fear. The people of Israel were not to become like those people. They're not to look like them. They were God's people. I don't, I don't recommend we go around spearing folks who are less holy than than they ought to be. But perhaps we could begin to approach killing 
our own sinful desires with a similar zeal that Phineas had. It's right that we seek to identify and to eradicate those those foreign objects that get into the mold of the new man. We should ask ourselves, is this activity, is this hobby, is this possession, this entertainment, relationship, is it influencing to be me to be more in the image of godliness, or am I being conformed to the image of the world? It's easy to delude ourselves into thinking that some things are just they're just neutral. They don't shape us at all. They're harmless, innocuous, casual, and neutral. But no such thing exists. Either it exerts a force on us or, or it releases, and we're always going to take the mold of the things that are influencing our lives. Everything is either conforming us more and more into the image of, of Adam, of the old man, or into the image of the new man, into the image of Christ. And the litmus test is, just like the people of Israel, do I look more like them, do I look more like the world, or do I look more like Christ? So kind of my rough answer to the question, what is holiness not? is holiness is not conforming to the passions and desires of the old man. This is a necessary distinction because we all struggle with these temptations, these pressures from the old man trying to creep back into the mold. I've had this image in my head for this week, and I don't know, I'll try to explain it to you. It's like, you know, you, you cast... A, a statue, and you pour it into the mold, the material into the mold, and maybe you break it open, and it's this, this terrible gargoyle creature. That's the old man. And then God takes that material and remelts it back down and puts it in the new mold, and you break it open. It's this, this beautiful sheep. But we, we want to stick pieces of that old gargoyle mold back in there, so you, you pop it open, and you have this sheep, and you turn it around, and it has half a gargoyle face on it. And that, that's how I see this. We all deal with that. We all deal with bits and pieces, some bigger than others, getting stuck in the new mold and continuing to kind of shape the contours of our lives. And it's something we'll continue to battle to the end of our lives. But Peter here pleads with the Christian... Get those bits out of there. Don't let them continue to shape you. Don't let them continue to hold sway over your lives. They're decidedly unholy, even anti-holy. So if anti-holiness is confirmation to the world, then holiness must, at least in some sense, be confirmation to something else, confirmation to something good brings us to our second point here what holiness is holiness is verses 15 and 16 but he as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for i am holy so in short holiness is godliness or godlikeness not in the sense that we're deity, of course. Classically, this godliness is defined kind of by two things. The first is 
separation. And the second is, is purity. To be holy is to be like God because God is the very definition of holiness. First in his separateness, he is utterly transcendent, entirely separate. No person or thing comes close to attaining a small glimpse of the infinite depth and breadth of his power and glory. He's, he's completely different from his creatures that he has made. He's totally self-sufficient and self-sustaining. All that we know and all that we are flows from him and from his glory. He is utterly separate. Also, in his purity, he is purity. He is the standard of purity, the definition of purity. There's no standard of right and wrong, bad or good, beautiful or ugly, that exists outside of him or above him, which he must submit to. He's perfect because perfection flows from his character. We are not God. So our holiness can't be like His is, that is self-defined, which is why we look to Him as our standard of holiness. Kevin DeYoung, I like how he puts it, in the whole in our holiness. He says, God is holy, so most basically, being holy means like being like God. This is why it's so critical that Christians know the character and work of the one they worship. If you want to know what holiness looks like, look at God. His point here, I think, is really important, and we need to know God and His character. That's why the former passions of verse 14 are defined as as ignorance, as being without knowledge. So that's, that's an unashamed plug for the study of theology, which is, of course, nothing less than an investigation into the person and activities of God. If we want to fulfill Peter's call to holiness, we must seek to grow in our knowledge of God and His character. Now, moving on here in verse 15. Notice Peter says, Be holy in all your conduct. I thought about titling this sermon, Holy, Holy. But I thought that might be confusing. As though I were a perfectionist. So I titled this point, Holy, Holy. The first holy within W. So that's a, that's a tall order, isn't it? To be holy, holy. To be holy in all your conduct. In everything you do. You can kind of hear the wheels of the perfectionist spinning at this point. Well, the model is God. We're to be holy as He's holy, right? Surely He's holy in, in everything. And he tells us to be like him. We need to seek perfection in holiness. Right? Uh, Louis Burkhoff has a section refuting this doctrine of sinless perfectionism entitled Sanctification Imperfect in Degree. He says this, When we speak of sanctification as being imperfect in this life, We do not mean to say that it is imperfect in parts, as if only a part of the holy man that originates in regeneration were affected. It is the whole, but yet undeveloped new man that must grow into full stature. A newborn child is, barring exceptions, perfect in parts, 
but not yet in the degree of development for which it is intended. Just so the new man is perfect in parts, but remains in the present life imperfect in the degree of spiritual development. So the, the point is, there's a sense in which our sanctification is whole. It's a holistic sanctification affecting every part of the man, body, mind, soul, will. Just as the entirety of the old man was corrupted, so now it is renewed. It's just immature. And the word Peter uses here corresponds with this idea. It literally means, the word conduct, it literally means your manner of life. He says, let the fullness of the way you live your life be marked by holiness. The maturation and holiness is one of God's primary purposes in redeeming us. But it is important to recognize that the loftiness of that call in no way implies or necessitates our ability to carry it out. We are truly made holy in the whole man, but we won't attain perfect holiness in this life. So if holiness is this, this exhortation to which we're called, what are these structures that I spoke about in the beginning? These structures God put in place that make up the conditions He has provided to cultivate that which He desires in us. In order of, of experience, not necessarily the order of the text, but of experience, they are calling, adoption, and a change in desires. Calling, adoption, and change desires. So first, calling. Verse 15 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. This calling is... The effectual calling. It's the new birth that we saw in uh, verse 3. It's, it's that calling up of Lazarus, come forth to the dead man, be raised. It's that call which transfers us out of that domain of darkness and into the kingdom of the beloved Son, where we're made spiritually alive. But there's no hope of this holiness in a corpse, in a spiritual corpse. by God bringing us to newness of life that we're able to then look at God and see His holiness and then reflect it, albeit weekly. Calvin here says, He reasons from the end for which we are called. God sets us apart as a peculiar people for Himself. Then we ought not to be free, then we ought to be free from all pollutions. And he quotes a sentence which had been often repeated by Moses. That's verse 16. For as the people of Israel were on every side surrounded by heathens, from whom they might have easily adopted the worst examples and innumerable corruptions, the Lord frequently recalled, to them, recalled them to himself as though he had said, Ye have to do with me, ye are mine. Then abstain from the pollutions of the Gentiles. We are too ready to look to men so as to follow their common way of living. Thus it happens that some lead others in troops to all kinds of evil until the Lord by his calling separates them. So God has called us out of the world and into that assembly of the saints. He's called us out of Adam and into Christ, out of darkness 
and into light. So may we then, who are the people of God, in whom there, this God is there, there is no darkness at all in him, is what First John says. May we live as people who love the light. Now we're called not merely to be followers of God or, or fans of God, but we're called to be the family of God, which is that second condition that he set up for us, that adoption. Verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Did you notice as we read that, he seems to make an assumption that, that you are the children of God. Where does this idea come from? Is he, he doesn't just pull it out of thin air. If we look back at the context, first we recognize from verse 3 that we are born again. If we're born, we're born again to new family, to new parents, to a new father. Also, we're told to expect an inheritance. Who, who but a man's offspring can expect an inheritance from him? So this idea of childhood has been present in the context all along. Not only here does he assume that we're, we're children of God, but also that we're obedient children of God. Where does that assumption come from? If you remember back to verse 2 of this chapter, we were told that we were elected for obedience to Jesus Christ. But if, if God elected us to obedience, then it's settled. It's going to happen. It may happen slowly and progressively and, and painfully over the course of many, many years and not reach its conclusion till we see glory, but, but obedience is part of the makeup of God's elect people. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. One of God's ultimate goals in saving us is to produce holiness in us. Ephesians 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Here's why. That we should be holy and blameless before him. So holiness is one of God's primary purposes for saving us. We are works in process. His work in process, being sanctified bit by bit, one degree of glory to the next. We are really in the process of becoming who we are. We're saints becoming saintly. So to be a child of God is to be marked by obedience. If a, if a child is marked by disobedience, he's probably not a true child. All of that to make the point that Peter sees our status as adopted, obedient sons and daughters of God as part of the structure that God has put in place to cultivate holiness within us. Notice what he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed and be holy in your conduct. As obedient children, childhood of God is a pre-existing condition to holiness. That's important, again, for us to understand because we easily get it backwards. In, in our natural condition, we're prideful and self-righteous. 
we begin to think that sonship is won by our holiness, by our good deeds. We begin to think we're children of God by virtue of the good we've done. But the truth is, any attempt at holiness apart from prior adoption into the family of God is akin to trying to grow watermelons in Antarctica. So, are you ever displeased with your progress in holiness? Do you, do you ever feel like your yield of fruit is like the watermelon farm in Antarctica? I know I do. We recognize that the fruit of holiness in our lives is, is subpar. The solution is to look to the root and not to the fruit. Our, our temptation when we see bad fruit is to grab the piece of fruit and maybe put a little dye on it, a little, a little bit of wax, make it look nice. But the problem is not cosmetic, it's, it's systemic. If our holiness is not where we'd like it to be, which probably should be true of everyone until glory, we need to address our roots and not our fruits. Some of the ways we do this, if we avail of ourselves of the communion with God and with the saints in worship, corporate worship, preaching of the word, partaking of the sacraments, that, that's fertilizer on the roots of holiness. Because holiness flows out of our familial relationship with God. Also, if we seek personal communion with God through prayer and study, not as something we must do, but as a child who wants to know his father, that also is fertilizer. So, if you are struggling with holiness, which in many ways I hope that you are, then go back to the roots, not the fruit, and the fruit will follow. Finally, as, as part of the system God has put in place to cultivate our holiness, He has given us changed desires. Changed desires. Verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So the ignorance is, is former. Why is it former? Because God changed us. God causes us to be born again to a living hope. When we were utterly consumed with a dead hope, he caused us to be born again to a living one. He called us out of darkness and into the light. You know, people are not mushrooms. Mushrooms can grow in the dark. We do not experience growth in the dark. It's only in the light of God's revelation of himself through his word, through his son, and his removing the scales from our blind eyes that we experience growth. Consider James chapter 1, 14 through 18. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, no shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first, first fruits of his creatures. So those, those old bits of, of the old mold which, which used to sneak in and, and they shape us and they try to continue to form us and cause flaws in that beautiful new 
recreation that is the new man. Those old ways are still trying to encroach and will always be part of our lives, as Paul recognizes in Romans chapter 7. But as Paul recognizes in Romans 6, we're no longer slaves to those old ways. We were once slaves to sin, but those bonds have been broken. And now we're happily slaves of Christ instead. I had a friend express to me one time, he said, you know, people are always talking about unbelievers struggling with their sin. You know, you, you hear people say, well, before I was a Christian, I struggled with porn or I struggled with alcohol addiction. And he said, I don't think that's accurate. Unbelievers don't struggle with sin. They, they revel in their rebellion. There's no struggle. On the other hand, the, the privilege, the painful privilege we have as Christians is a struggle with sin. Now we have new desires, desires to be holy, and those new desires wage war against our old desires, the desires of our flesh. So if you, like I do, feel like you're in this constant battle with your own sin, if holiness is a constant struggle, we need to take heart, because it's a sign that we have been given new desires and new affections as new men and women in Christ. If there is no war being waged in our members, that may be cause for concern. God has given us new desires in order to cultivate holiness. So, in conclusion, just to kind of sum things up, these verses, we were charged with this high call to be holy, to be holy like God is holy. Not just to be holy, but to reflect God in His holiness. And not only that, but to do it in all of our conduct. That's a profound calling. That's a deep calling. One we will never attain fully in this life. However, God has not given us this charge without also supplying the necessary system to support the cultivation of what He desires to grow in us. Our holy God has called us, He has made us sons and daughters, and He has given us new desires. Perfect holiness is not attainable in this life, but a life marked by holiness is the natural fruit of the children of God. So as obedient children, we all desire holiness. We'll never get it by turning inward, by looking to ourselves. So let me just conclude by pointing us toward the holiness of our God this morning. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Praise God. Yeah.